This is Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm so glad you've joined us again today. Come on in, make yourself comfortable. We're going to spend a little time together, think about important things, and, and hopefully grow in God's direction, stretch toward His high calling. You know, we can either stretch or we can shrink, and I want to encourage you to stretch. That's what God wants. That's what He encourages. That's what He imagines for us is that we will stretch in his direction. And today we're going to stretch a little bit more on a subject that, well, I think we all think we understand. And the more I look into it, the less I think I understand it. So I guess that's not very encouraging for you to (laughs) consider. Here we go together, but we're going to talk about love. And I've noticed that a lot of good-hearted people, I mean, sincere people, people that genuinely care about their neighbors and, and would think they're doing the best thing for them, sometimes miss the mark because they, it seems to me, misunderstand the whole concept of love. And so we want to spend a little time thinking about that and processing that. Uh, I was thinking earlier this week that I'd make a deal with you this week. Are you ready for that? I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, I'll talk and you think because I'm convinced we need to process this idea of how we live a life of love. And I want to help us think through that and prod us in the right direction. Uh, We're not going to become faultless in all of this. I, I wouldn't expect that, but we can all grow and we can all get better. And that's what I want us to do. As we get started, I want to thank my church. I'm a pastor in Cape Coral, Florida, a pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church. And I want to thank them again for helping us make this program possible. It's a great bunch of people, and they care about their neighbors. And among the churches I've served, I have to give them a shout out that this church does its best to demonstrate love to the people around them. I don't think any of the people in our church would say that they're perfect at it. I wouldn't say that we've never made a mistake, but I have seen them be patient with people's nonsense in ways that, well, I don't know if I've ever told them that, but in ways that I wouldn't have been patient. But I didn't say anything, and they pers- persevered in all this, and and they persisted in showing love, and and they overlooked a lot of things to try to help people and move them in the right direction. Sadly, in spite of all of that, one of the saddest things that I've ever observed in my time as being a pastor is the people that that love brings close to a real breakthrough in their lives. People who struggle with one thing or another, and maybe they don't even quite know how to put into words the struggle of their life. But I have watched some people come so close to to where God wanted to really help them move to another level of living. And just about time that God was really dealing with some important issues, they took off, just abandoned the journey. In, in context of what I said earlier, they decided to shrink away instead of stretch toward God. And so many times I have been so disappointed when that happened because of all of the churches, and, and I've served some, some really fine churches, don't misunderstand, of all of the churches that I've seen, this church knows how in, in some remarkable way to just get beyond the nonsense that we all live with sometimes and and live out sometimes and they they just know how to 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 hang in there to accept people and to keep pressing forward but people often just run away 
because they would rather run from God, shrink from growth instead of stretching toward him. So I want to encourage you to stretch. And I'll probably stretch us a little bit today as we think about this, but it's not going to be unpleasant or uncomfortable. I hope it's liberating and helpful because we do this program for you. We do it to help you. I can listen to myself talk all the time, and I do actually every day hear myself talk. So I don't do it for that purpose. I do it because we really do want to help you grow because faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we want to help you develop that confidence. And today, as we look at this whole subject of love, we want to help you develop and grow your heart and your life and your actions in the direction of loving God and loving your neighbor. So let's just start and think a little bit along the way here about how does our culture define love? Well, the short answer to that is that it seems quite obvious to me that the culture usually defines love as getting what we want. You know, somebody hasn't been loving toward me unless they give me what I want. Uh, and, and I expect that if I'm going by the culture's definition of love, I expect to get what I want because if they love me, they'll give me what I want. And what's wrong with them if they don't give me what I want? Well, let's think about that a little bit. It's illustrated because when boy gets girl, he got what he wants and love makes the world go round or the girl gets the boy and it's unending love and there are stars in her eyes and it just goes on and on forever. Some of the worst is what I observe from a distance. I don't read these kinds of stories or watch them on television or enjoy movies about them, but I know they're out there. But you'll see a story of occasionally of a, of a man and a woman who are married. And somehow along the way, they discover that one of, or the other of them discovers that their spouse just doesn't thrill them anymore. And they just, the, the thrill is gone. You remember the song, the thrill is gone. And, and, and so they begin to focus on that. And, and can I just say, don't be surprised. Don't be deceived. Let me just tell you, it's true. The thrill is gone. The thrill can never last. So let's just settle that. But anyway, the movie uh, or the story or the television show, whatever, they portray it that the thrill is gone and, and someone else enters the picture. And it can be she chasing he or he chasing she. It's, that doesn't matter. It's just one or other of the spouses gets caught up and, and woe and behold, and I mean woe, not low, woe and behold, they discover true love with another person. They've found their soulmate. And so away they go off to a new relationship and suddenly the stars shine brighter and the music is better and everything is right and the thrill is back. Well, that's the very definition of love getting what it wants. I have got what I want. You know, we talk about, I, I love th that car, so I get it. When you go shopping for a car, the people that sell cars, they want you to love that car. They really do. Uh, but we need to come to, to grips with that really is, is getting what I want love. Really nothing is love or loving in getting what I want. So we need to think about that a little bit. Perhaps love is 
not getting what I want. Perhaps love is giving someone else what they want. Well, I mentioned that because that's what a lot of people seem to think. Okay, so let's start with an easy one. Uh, grandparents, parents, we love our children. We love our grandchildren. So we give them what they want. And grandparents, spoil them. And let me tell you, that is a okay. Go grandparents. Well, uh, not entirely, but grandparents do get a little pass here because it's a little different when you're a grandparent, right? Everybody said, right. I heard that. Thank you for agreeing. Uh, but we don't spoil the kids too much because giving them what they want isn't, isn't really love, is it? If we always give our children what they want, uh, where might they end up? If we never push back or challenge their thinking, is that loving them? Haven't we who are supposed to be older and wiser learned something in our lives that we need to challenge their thinking and stretch them? You know, would any of us give a child, either our grandchildren or our own children, a steady diet of ice cream because that's what they want to eat? Now, the, the boy or girl might think, that's really great. My parents really love me. They let me have ice cream at every meal. And I don't have to eat vegetables or fruit or anything else. I can just eat ice cream all I want. I don't think many of us would think that's expressing love to our children. Or how about if we let the kids play outside with no limits? Just go on outside and play. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want. I'm here if you need me. But but go ahead. Go ahead. Play in the street if you want to. Don't worry about cars speeding by. I love you and want you to have what you want. Now, you'd, you would rightly say that's preposterous. And it is. So, so we kind of understand, don't we, that, that love isn't getting what I want, and it's not giving somebody else what they want. And it's pretty easy to see that with children. But, but what if it's another adult? How do we handle that? I mean, aren't adults supposed to have a mature perspective? So, so when they want something, isn't it supposed to be appropriate? And, and isn't it our responsibility to cooperate with them and be a friend to them? Well, let's, let's try kind of a silly illustration. Uh, see, maybe this will help. Suppose you have a friend that just loves diet IBC root beer. Now, lest you think I'm picking on IBC root beer or diet IBC root beer, I'm not. I love IBC root beer, not the diet kind so much, but the, but the real kind. It's really good. So, so I'm not picking on that, but, but let's just think together. Suppose your friend really loves diet IBC root beer, and they drink more than a dozen bottles of diet IBC root beer every day. And I know just by mentioning this, some of you are going to go out and and, and buy a diet IBC root beer just to see if you like it. But and that's okay. Go ahead. I don't I don't mind. But anyway, your friend, your imagination here is, is drinking more than a dozen bottles of IBC root beer, the diet variety every day. And the result is they've actually damaged their health. And they've been advised by their doctor to stop drinking so much, uh, or maybe stop at all, or, or at least cut back, drink half as much, do something because it's, it's hurting you. Well, how do you as your friend respond to them? Uh, is it love to give them what they want? So you pick up a few bottles of IBC diet, IBC root beer on the way over to see them and you drop it off and say, hey, I brought you your favorite diet IBC root beer. Is that love? 
Uh, or, or maybe you realize, no, I, I shouldn't do that. That would just enable them to drink what they shouldn't be drinking. So maybe, maybe when you visit them or talk to them on the phone or something, you hear them uh, expressing their complaints about their self-inflicted health problems. And so you just give them sympathy, you know, the, the poor deer idea. And, and they talk to you about it. And, and you just go along with, with the sympathetic response to, well, I'm really sorry you're having this problem and da 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 So clearly what they want is either diet IBC root beer or sympathy, or maybe both. Well, surely it's not a loving response to give them what they want when it hurts them. It's not a loving response to enable their bad behavior. It's not a loving response to give them sympathy for something when they're the one that causes it. Uh, we, we need to rise above that. You know, nothing gets better for anyone. You know, when all we do is provide them what they shouldn't have or give them sympathy because they complain about what they're doing to themselves, have we really helped them? Aren't we just trapped in a, a loop of behavior that doesn't help anyone? Is that really love? Does that person experience love from you as their friend? So I guess really the, it comes down to it, and whatever the specifics are, does the person who panders to the other person's complaints experience love? Well, I don't think so. Remember, we're, we're trying to help each other stretch toward God's high calling, not shrink away from God. So, so love is not us getting our own way. Love is not giving another person what they want. Uh, but we need to take serious consideration. Well, what is love really? Well, we use that word love in, in really interesting ways in English. We use it for a lot of things and in a lot of ways with some different meanings attached to it. You might say, I love pizza. Well, I think any of us would know what someone means when they say that they love pizza. Uh, I think we would understand when someone says, I love my daughter. We would understand that that's different than pizza. Someone might say, I love music. Well, that might be different than pizza or daughter and be a whole different sense of, of their love for something. What does it mean when we say, I love God? Or I love my neighbor? You see, you could probably think of many examples of the way we use love. I, I, I hear people often respond to someone who tells them something with the simple statement, love it, you know, as though they love what they just said. Well, what do they mean by that use of the word love? So we want to explore that a little bit and, um, and try to understand what we ought to mean when we talk about love, at least from a biblical perspective. And we want to rethink some of these things so that we can help ourselves grow in God's direction. Now, there are two realities today that I want to point out to us as we're kind of laying the foundation and getting started here to, to understand what it is that, that, that love is. We've all read the Bible, or most of us, I hope you have, and it tells us that God is love. In our world today, God is love has become love is God. It's really fascinating to me when I came across this idea as I was working on this, and I've been thinking about this concept of love and how to, how to help 
us get a better understanding of it. Uh, but when I began to realize that, that today we say love is God, that's, that's really true. We have made love, the concept of love or our understanding of love, and it largely is, connects to our getting what we want. We've made that our God. This concept of love in all the ways we use it has become the God of the world we live in. Now, that's really a stunning thing to me when I started thinking about that, uh, because love is meant to trump everything. It's meant to overcome everything. It's meant to explain everything or explain away everything. Love is God. It's just so wonderful. All I need is love. All we all need is love. Love, love, love. Well, that's a peculiar thing because if love has become our God, then there's a couple of related assumptions to that concept of love. It, it's, the concept is that it's, it's easy, that, that, that love is the, is the easy way. We ought to be able to, to all get along and, and we ought to, ought to be able to love each other because that's just the, the normal expected thing and it, and it should just happen. Why are we resisting love? Well, that leads to at least two consequences that I, I really think we got to unpack and to think about carefully. That leads to a real superficial understanding of love. And, and you know, the, some of the silliness that I've already talked about is really superficial in that sense. And, and we get that pretty quickly. We get that, that love isn't getting our own way. And, and we get that love isn't giving my friend what he or she wants. That's a really superficial understanding. But, but when we've made love our God, we tend to become superficial about it because we then think it's just easy and, and normal. And anything that isn't love is, is an aberration somehow and what happened to us. So we need to come to grips with that, that, that it can become very superficial, and it has. The second thing is, and I've hinted at this already, is that we become overly optimistic about love, overly optimistic that it'll solve every problem, and it's just a, it's just a panacea for every ill that, that comes along. And I'm not, I'm not undervaluing love here. I'm saying that when we make love our God, that we just become optimistic that it's going to solve our problems. And what we need to remember is that God is love. And we want to think about how do we consider love in its biblical context? We want to focus on the biblical understanding of love. What does it mean when the Bible talks about love so that we can come to grips with that idea and we can be people who actually love one another? There's another song. I was looking at song titles as I was thinking about this. It's kind of fun to do that. And, and there was a song many years ago, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Well, that's true. As long as the love that we exhibit is Christian love or a biblical understanding of love. So we want to kind of understand that and, and pull that together for ourselves so we can, so we can build on that and, and see where we can go from here. So let's start by thinking about how does the Bible define love? Uh, earlier, I said that, that we use love in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of context. And the good news is that 
that we understand the English language. And so when somebody uses the word love, we have a pretty good sense of what they mean by it. So that in the context of their statement, like I love pizza, we understand what that means and we understand what it doesn't mean. So one of the cautions that we should, we should always bring to our understanding of the Bible and, and, and how we live our lives is that we need to understand how a word is used in its context so that we get a good grasp of it. I, I'm kind of amazed and, and I don't know where this came from. I, I have, take no credit for it, but, but I learned this lesson uh, some years ago that, that I always needed to consider how a person was using a word when I was trying to understand the definition of it, because somebody might use a word in a specific way, and I couldn't just take a dictionary definition and apply it to that. I needed to understand the context of their use of that word. And so there's been a lot of times that, that I'll read a word that I'm not really familiar with, but I pay attention to the context and I can kind of sort out what's going on here. And and I, somebody might ask me, well, what's what's the definition of, of such and such a word? And and, and I'll, I'll stop and, and, and uh, hesitate and uh, kind of wonder because I don't know how to tell them the definition, but I have a sense that I know what it means because I, the context just speaks for itself. So we want to we want to bring that to our understanding of love, especially as the Bible talks about it. So when you read the Bible and you see the word love, keep that in mind, keep that context in mind. And that's the basis that I want to use for, for what I am suggesting today is a beginning understanding of the biblical definition of love. Now, if you're familiar with the with the book of 1 John, it's one of the small books in the New Testament, but there's a lot of information in that book about the concept of love. And I just want to consider one statement that we find in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm going to read from the New International Version of the Bible. It's just the one I chose for today. There are many. You choose the one. And I probably say this too often, but just be patient with me. Choose a Bible that you understand and that you will read. Don't feel obligated to choose a certain English translation because somebody says use it. Find one that will help you know God and understand what God is saying to you. So anyway, I'm using the New International Version. There are a lot of good ones out there. I use many of them as I'm studying and thinking about things. They really help me. But you find the one that speaks to you. And, and in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we find this statement. This is how we know what love is. Ding, 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 ding. That's gold right there, isn't it? We've been talking about how love is used in context, how our culture treats love, how, how love has become the God of our times. And now here we see in the Bible, this is how we know what love is. Well, I can hardly wait for God to show us what that is because I want to know what love is, don't you? We need to know what love is. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow, in one verse, we have learned a lot about love. And we want to talk about that and think about that. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Hmm, wow, that is a lot. So what does it mean 
that Jesus laid down his life for us? Well, I think it means two things as I've studied this and, and two things that we can really focus on and that will really help us in a context of understanding how we can live our lives and demonstrate the love of God, the love that the Bible talks about to, to God and to our neighbors. So let's consider two ideas. First of all, we know that Jesus laid down his life for us. Just recently celebrated resurrection, Easter. On Good Friday, Jesus gave his life for the sins of the world to crush evil, to make redemption possible, to give us life. And Jesus was obedient to God. All through his life, he was obedient to God. He set out to accomplish God's purposes for him. And even in the garden, on the, on the brink of crucifixion, when he prayed and he, and he asked God to take this cup from me, his conclusion was, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was obedient to God. He was willing to do what God asked, and he lived that out. So if we're going to think about a biblical definition of love, we have to think about what does it mean in our lives to be obedient to God? What is it that God is calling us to do? What is it that God is calling us to be? How do I behave toward God, toward my neighbors, if I'm going to be obedient to God? The second part of that is much more difficult. Now, obedience isn't easy. Don't misunderstand. And I, and I hope you take heed to that, because it could be that while I'm talking, God puts his finger on something and says, yeah, this is what you need to do to be obedient to me, and you know you need to do it, and you haven't been doing it. So could I just... Um, on God's behalf, give you a little nudge in that direction and say, stretch toward God, toward God and go do that. Um, but the second part, I often think that, that the other concept that we see in the life of Jesus is more difficult. Uh, but Jesus was not only obedient to God, but he lived a life of self-sacrifice. He lived and died for the well-being of others. He did not put himself first he always thought, how can I please God? How can I live a life that serves people around me? Didn't he say that he came to serve, not to be served? He lived a life of self-sacrifice. So we need to use that as a foundation. The Bible defines love, and it says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We ought to live lives of obedience to God and lives of self-sacrifice, that we live a life for the well-being of other people. And by the way, in case you missed it, that means that love is not getting our own way or getting what we want or giving somebody else what they think they want or need. It means serving God out of obedience and serving him and our neighbors through a life of self-sacrifice. So based on that, let's take one more step before we take a break here. And let me just remind us, and if you, you've probably seen this already, and if you haven't thought about it, it's, it's easy to see it coming. We need to come to grips with the idea that love is hard. Love is difficult. Every time I think about how do we live our lives for the well-being of others, I bump into 
difficulties? How do I know that that's going to be best for them? How do I, how do I know how to help them by doing what will help make their life better? Uh, when I see somebody going astray, how do I know that I can say or do something that they will hear and respond to so that they can find their way following the way, the truth, the life? So let's not kid ourselves. Love is hard. Let's make sure we understand that love is not easy. It's not a natural instinct. The culture thinks that, that love is God, and so it just thinks it should be easy and natural. It's not. It's challenging to be obedient to God and to live a life of self-sacrifice. It's hard, and so we need to realize that love requires God's help. We can't do it on our own. It requires divine resources. Uh, and, and the good news is, I think we ought to realize, and, and, and if we should stretch toward this too, that when God calls us to something, when he challenges us to stretch in a certain way, he comes along and gives us grace that helps us do what he's asked us to do. He's not going to ask us to do something and set us up for failure. He asks us to do something that he's going to help us actually accomplish. And we need to stretch into that, lean into that, give thanks to God for that. And in all of this, let's remember that love requires humility. Uh, it is a humbling thing to, to try to process how do I show love to the people around me. Uh, there are people that are harder to love than others. Some people are easy to love. It's just a challenging thing. So let's, let's at least admit to each other, shall we, that love is hard and that, and that we need to we need to overcome the difficulties and we need to stretch through them and not give up. Sometimes when things get hard, we give up, we quit, we run away. But let's not do this with this. Let's just face it head on. Love is hard, but God gives us the resources and the help so that we can live lives of obedience to him and lives of self-sacrifice. And we're going we're gonna to pursue that a little bit more. We're going to need to take a break here in just a moment. And I want to invite you to join us and hang in there with us because we're going to take some more consideration of just what is biblical love. And we're going to find our way to understanding. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come.
AmericaOutloud.com. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. hanging in there with us because we're going to keep going on this journey of trying to understand love. The idea is to help us have a clear idea of what God is calling us to so that we can live lives that please him. The idea is to understand so that we'll know how to to live a life of love toward our neighbors, even in challenging times and even when they are uh, challenging people. Uh, God helps us with all of this. He doesn't call us to something that that he then abandons us and tells us we, we're on our own. No, he says, I'm with you. And he gives us the resources we need to not only understand, but to live out his calling in our lives. And we can be people who love. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I'm saying that we need to stretch toward God's high calling. We need to stretch toward God's idea that real biblical love is obedience to God and living a life of self-sacrifice for the well-being of others so that we can honor him and build each other up and help each other stretch toward God. So we talked about how love is hard, and I, I, I hope that you kind of get the idea that it really is hard, and I hope you get the idea that you shouldn't be discouraged because it's hard. We should realize that God gives us this opportunity to stretch in his direction, and he helps us do that. So let's keep going. Now, now, how do we know about this business of love in our own lives? And, and, and here's a couple of things that I hope you really get. Uh, this is really important. Our lives, our love is not proven by comparison. You know, it's, it's, it's challenging to ask yourself, and, and it's challenging for all of us. I'm not minimizing that, how, how to act in love towards someone. But we don't compare ourselves to other people to validate whether we're acting in love. You know, we might say, well, that person isn't very loving, so I guess I'm okay because I love better than they do. No, nah, that's a trap. Don't even do that. Don't even think that. Love is not proven by comparison just because you might be farther along on the road than somebody else. And I'm not saying you aren't. You might legitimately be. But don't compare yourself. Remember, love requires humility. And that's not exactly humility. The other trap that, that occurs to me that I think a lot of people wrestle with is, is this idea of, of accusation. We hear someone like me talking about love, and we see someone else who thinks that they're acting in love and, and our tendency might be to say, well, who are they to talk about love? I've seen them. And then we fill in the blank. And so we accuse them of not being a person who lives a life of love. Well, that's an accusation. That's arrogance, isn't it? That's not humility. See, both comparison and accusation are really pretty selfish because we're trying to justify ourselves. So don't, don't do that. Recognize that it's difficult recognize that we're all on the journey, recognize that God will help us and we can get there. We can live out the definition of love that, that the Bible gives us. We can live a life like Jesus, a life of obedient, self-giving love for God and for our neighbors. So we need to think about that and we need to work on that. Now, in the context of 1 John chapter 3, 
it talks about material needs and and the the need for people to help their neighbors with material needs. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit because that's important. And we need to find ways when people struggle and maybe they need a little help, how do we help them with their basic material needs? Well, self-reliance in our day is a big deal and, and it makes all of us reluctant to receive help because we know we should be able to take care of ourselves. We want to take care of ourselves. We don't want to be dependent. And we don't like to think that we have to receive help from somebody else. And that's all good as far as it goes. We want to be that kind of people. We want to be mature and we want to be able to handle things. We want to make good decisions. But frankly, life happens. And sometimes we find ourselves or our friends find themselves in difficulty. And, and we might have the few bucks that could help them. And we'd like to help them. But, but how do we get them to take it? You know, it's just, how do you, how do you get through that? So, so I want to give you a, a tip. If you have a friend that needs some help, uh, maybe financially, and that's how this has been, I've seen this play out in my experience, consider giving the financial help through your pastor. So I've had people do this. I've had people give me a few dollars. Sometimes I don't even know what it is. They put it in an envelope with a note and it's anonymous, but they put the money in there and they say, would you give this to, and they tell me the person's name but don't tell them who gave it to you. Keep it confidential. Well, I'd always do that. I, I do not betray confidences and that's important. So you could consider that if you have a friend, consider helping your friend by putting something in an envelope that can't be traced to you. Give it to your pastor when, when you have a moment where nobody's around and ask your pastor to deliver that. I guarantee you, your pastor will love doing that. That's, that's a lot of fun. I, I, I've loved doing that. Uh, that's that's a great way to help. Another way that, that you could help is your church could establish what we have done. We have a love cares fund. And so when we see that somebody needs a little help, then the church gives me permission just to, to help them a little bit. And, and we've done that on different occasions, and it's made a, a significant difference in some people's lives. And, and nobody knows who who is helped except me. I, I have to be involved in that, but I don't tell people and I don't uh, betray that confidence, but it helps people. So that might be another way that, that you could help someone um, in a way that really makes a significant difference to them because that that's a material way. And that's what, if you read first John chapter three, a little farther down from 16, you'll see that he talks about that and encourages people to, to do just that. So let's think a little bit more now about this whole idea of how do we apply this message of love. To be like Jesus is to live a life of, of obedient, self-giving love. We understand that, and we're going to try to put that into practice. Um, we want to do what the Bible says, and we want to, to express our love not by just the words that we say. Sometimes words can be useful, but we want to express it by the actions. And it talks about a little later in, in 1 John chapter 3 that, that let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And so we want to do that. Um, truth does produce actions, righteous deeds, we might say. And so we want to live out the truth of the Bible because it's clearly, it's clearly spelled out for us here. But let's take that just a little bit in a different direction and think about that just a little bit more. In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, we have what is called the great commandment. 
you probably remember the story. Jesus was asked about the greatest commandments in the law. You know, they had a lot of conversations in those days about, about the law of God. They valued that. They thought they were blessed to have had this word from God that they called the law. And Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And, and that's an incredible statement, isn't it? Uh, I often think about that, how brilliant it was of God to give us such a succinct understanding of what it means to live out all of the expectations that God has for us. And we can look at the Ten Commandments, we can look at other places where it says, do this, don't do this, do that, don't do the other thing. And in all of those instances, it comes back to if we live lives motivated by loving God and loving our neighbors, we will have accomplished what the Bible asks us to do. So let's break that down just a little bit. And I'm, and I'm going to get in trouble right off the bat on this. Is, is, that, is that okay? Uh, well, I, I hope so. I sometimes say at church, at my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and quick shout out to thank them for their support on making this program possible. We do this for you, and they encourage me to do this for you. So I want you to know that. So, But anyway, I, I, I sometimes say to the church when when I'm about to say something that I think somebody might not like, I say, um, well, one of the things that I always want to do is tell you the truth, whether you like what I say or even like me, but I want to tell you the truth. And, and I want to touch on this here uh, just, just so we don't miss this. And I, and I think we're missing it in our day. When Jesus made this response, he said to them, love the Lord your God with all you've got. He said, heart, soul, mind, strength. In other, in other words, the totality of your being should be love for God. And we read that and we say, yeah, of course, why wouldn't we do that? Well, and we should. Uh, we need to think about what that means and how we live that out, because we don't demonstrate love by our good intentions that are inside our head between our ears. We demonstrate love by what we do. And here's where, here's where some of you are going to go, oh, there you go, you've gone from preaching to meddling. Well, probably so. But we need to re-emphasize this idea that love for God comes first. Love for God comes first. Love for God comes first because God comes first. And I'll give you an illustration of why that has gotten my attention in recent years. And it's and it's, it's not that it's such a bad value. It's just if we really mean what we say about it, I'm concerned. Every now and then, and I haven't heard anybody say it for a long time. I couldn't even tell you if somebody I've heard say it. I just hear this crop up from time to time where people will, will rather, without thinking, say this simple statement. Well, you know, family comes first. And every time I hear that, something in me objects. I, I, don't, I don't know if, 
maybe I die a little bit inside or I, I get a little bit of a, <laughs> I don't know if you can get one of these, a spiritual cramp or something. Because I'm, I'm very concerned. Yes, I want people to have good families and I want them to value their family and, and enjoy their family and, and find their family environment nurturing and helpful and enjoyable and all those things. But we need to be careful because family is not first. God is first. And we need to make sure God is first. Jesus cautioned about that. You probably remember the verse. And Jesus cautioned about how we, there would be conflicts, and, and even in families. And it's because he comes first. So when we're trying to figure out how to live a life of love, let's make sure we don't forget that God comes first. That's why you go to church on Sunday, right? It's to express your love for God. It's not for what you get out of it. I hope you get a lot of good things out of it from be, being with your friends, from experiencing the, the grace and the peace and the love of God together as you worship together, as the pastor speaks and tells you the truth of God. I hope you get all of that. out. Of, but don't we go because God invites us to go and we express our love for him. We're saying God comes first and he's going to come first and I'm going to be there on Sunday. Okay, so love for God comes first. That's vitally important. We can't forget that. And second then comes love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus talked about how that was the great, great commandment. There's nothing greater than that. And so love your neighbor as yourself really means we live a life of self-sacrifice for our neighbor. We put our neighbor's well-being ahead of ours. And so we, we try to live that out. At our church, we put it this way. We've said that our purpose is to love God generously and people graciously. We want to be generous with God because that's how we show love for God in every way. And we want to be gracious to people because we don't always know what's going on in their lives. And so we want to treat them with kindness and respect. And we want to encourage them. We want to build them up. We want to help them stretch toward God's high calling. So let's think about what what that really means for us. So C.S. Lewis had a couple of really interesting statements on, uh, on these, these two ideas that I thought were really helpful. The first one is, was this. In his book, Mere Christianity, he wrote, ask yourself, if I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? And he went on to say, when you have found the answer, go and do it. Well, that's just so simple, but it's not simplistic. So if, if you make it your purpose, and not everybody does, but I hope you will, if you make it your purpose to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, then if you're sure you love God, and you need to think about that and say, yes, I love God, I will love God, I'm for God, he's first in my life, then ask yourself, okay, if, if that's who I am, a person who loves God, then ask yourself, what would I do to demonstrate that? What does that mean? Well, and then when you find the answer, you better get to it. See, that's the doing part of it. That's the action part of it. Uh, action is always a part of love. It's probably the heart of love. Uh, many years ago, there was a song that talked about love, and it was kind of talking about a romantic, Christian romantic sense, and it said, but most of all, love is something you do. And so what would you do 
how would you act if you really put God first? If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, what would I do? When you have found the answer, go do it. And, and, I, and I hope you'll spend a little time thinking about that. I'm uh, pretty sure you want to spend long because I'm pretty sure that, that the God who cares about you is going to point out to you what you need to do. The next thing is I hope no matter what he says to you, you'll go do it. And, and don't wait and hesitate. Just go do it. And, and the next thing is that people have wrestled with and, and um, I've heard people say, well, what does this merely mean? Love your neighbor as yourself. And people go off on this direction, that direction the other time. And uh, I don't think any of those kinds of things that I've heard people talk about or question or wrestle with are really helpful. I think they're distractions for the most part. Um, but C.S. Lewis said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Wow, that's, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Don't worry about what that means to love your neighbor. Uh, act as if you did. Well, that requires us to think now, what do I do? What do I say? How do I act that demonstrates to my neighbor that I care about them, that I love them, that I want their well-being, that my whole intention is, is for them, not against them. It's to build them up, not tear them down. It's to help them, not hurt them. It's to move them forward and help them as they stretch toward God. It's to help them not shrink from God. What is it that if I love my neighbor, what could I do to help them? Well, simple application of that, and, and I'm sure you can figure this out. God will help you. But think about this, that if you know that your neighbor professes love for God, but your neighbor only shows up for church about two Sundays out of a month, then might it be love for your neighbor if you begin to challenge your neighbor on their church attendance and their love for God? And then how might you do that? Uh, you don't want to be offensive. I get that. Uh, I wouldn't want you to be. You have to figure out now, how do I communicate that in a way my neighbor will receive? There are situations that when you think about things, and, and that's a pretty benign one, there are other much more challenging ones that, that you have to think, okay, if I say this, will the person I care about really hear it and understand it, or will it just make them mad? Well, if it just makes them mad, you haven't really helped them. So you got to think of a different strategy for how to help them come to grips with what it means when you're trying to show them the way of love. And when you're trying to act loving toward them, it's, it's really a challenge because you, you can't give them what they want uh, because that's not love. And uh, you have to give them what they need because that's what you do. Now, in all of this, uh, particularly as it relates to, to other people, we need to make sure we don't get caught up in the trap of, well, I can't do it perfectly, so I better not do it. Well, that's not love either. That's quitting. None of us, I think I said this earlier, none of us is going to be perfect at things. We are just trying to grow and be better. Uh, every step we take in God's direction helps us build on the steps before. So don't let, don't let perfect keep you from, from making the attempt. And, and if you find yourself struggling and you don't know how to help your neighbor that really needs it in a certain way, but you know they won't hear it from you, then, then maybe what you want to do is is get a friend to help them. 
maybe there's someone else that can help you with that. Maybe together you can help your friend. Uh, I don't know, but we don't want to quit. The other thing is we don't want to be presumptuous that we know so much better than everybody else. That's the arrogance that we talked about a little bit earlier. We want to maintain that, that level of humility that reminds ourselves that we're all headed together on this. And we need to make sure that we realize that we're not trying to be holier than thou or better than someone else. We're just trying to live lives of obedience to God and self-sacrifice to God and our neighbors. So repeat the, repeat the questions. If I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? If I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? Well, answer that question. That's a challenging one because see, that's a little bit like what Jesus asked in the garden. Is there another way, God? And Jesus said, I'll take your way. If I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? And when you have found the answer, go and do it. Just do it. You can. God will help you. He wants to help you because that's how he is pleased. And then don't, don't worry about do you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Act toward your neighbor as you, if you love your neighbor. And that brings whole challenges of its own, but you can do it. And, and God wants to help you. So I guess we've sort of answered the question from a popular song of years ago. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but uh, I think it's like 35 years old. But Tina Turner sang a song and it asked the question, what's love got to do with it? And I remember that song a little bit. I listened to it this week because I was uh, thinking about this whole concept. And, and, and boy, was I surprised. I didn't remember how rather cynical and pessimistic that song is. And it describes love as a secondhand emotion. And I went, whoa. But you know, the answer to the question of what's love got to do with it is that it, when you think about biblical love, it has everything to do with it. Because God has called us to please him by putting him first, by loving him, and by loving our neighbors. And, and it's not beyond us, it's for us. And God gives us that because he wants the best for us, and he knows that's how we get the best. And biblical love, what's that got to do with it? Everything. If we want a better world, that's how we get it is by biblical love. If we want a more just world, if we want a kinder, gentler world, whatever phrase you want to use, whatever it is that people seem to be looking for, it's found in living a life of love. I guess maybe one of the questions is, who's going to go first? Are we going to be the kind of people that say, well, that's good, I'll wait and see if anybody else lives a, an obedient, self-sacrificing life and I'll see if I want to do that. Please, step up. Lead the way. We need you to do that. And I'm confident you will. And I'm confident that you will continue this journey because we want to be the kind of people that demonstrate faith. We want to be the kind of people that have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And if we have confidence in God, then we will hear what he says about love, and we'll put it into practice. Because faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God that leads us to doing what God has called us to do. So, I guess the ball is in your court. I guess it always is. I've been talking a lot, and you've been, I hope, thinking a lot. Uh, 
And I trust that the God who calls us has been speaking to all of us a lot. And he will help us. He will lead us in the way that we should go. He will help us find a church. And there I go again. Yes, go to church. Find a church. And don't find the church closest to you. Find the church closest to the Bible. Boy, that really matters these days. Really does. Find a church. Put God first. Love your neighbor. Paul often do the things that you know God has been asking you to do for a long time, but you've just been resisting for one reason or another, and I don't know the reason. Maybe you know the reason. But what a wonderful thing it is when we all realize that God has made it simple. He just wants us to love him generously and his people graciously. He just wants us to to discover what it is we would do if we loved God and then do it. He just wants us to act like we love our neighbor. Because we, when we do, then we are demonstrating faith. And faith really, really is confidence in God. So walk in love, live a life of love, and demonstrate faith. God is with you. I'll see you next week.